Hey everyone, welcome to episode 112 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Dr. Tatiana Fofanova, the co-founder and CEO at Coda Health. Let's not waste any time. Let's bring her on. Thanks so much for joining me on this Slice of Healthcare podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Jared? Doing well. I'm excited for, for us to chat. I know you went through, uh, it's, it's been an eventful time out in uh, your, mm-hmm. your part of Texas. So uh, I, I'm glad we were finally able to connect and have you on. I'd uh, love to really just dive right into it. If you could start by telling our audience a little bit about you and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Um, quick note on Texas. It turns out if you're running a tech company, you kind of need electricity. So, you know, go reach out to a friend in Texas at some point this week. Um, so I'm Dr. Tatiana Fofanova. I'm a uh, recovering clinical scientist, I like to say, a, tra- um, a writer and a death doula. Uh, and I'm part of the founding team of CODA. I'm the co-founder and CEO of CODA. And our story is actually quite unique uh, because my team and I were actually recruited by the Texas Medical Center to identify and address their most critical healthcare needs. Um, It's a really interesting sort of approach. Uh, Basically all the hospitals in the medical center got together, gave us an all access badge and an all access pair of scrubs and told us to go forth and prosper, go into any emergency room, any clinic, whatever you want um, to solve their biggest problems in geriatrics particularly. And uh, throughout this whole process, um, I found myself in the cancer ward of a hospital here in Houston, um, where I met a woman who'd been in and out of cancer treatment for over 26 years. And as you might imagine, she was was in a lot of pain. Um, She was very tired. And honestly, she was just by every respect ready to go. Um, And she was begging to speak to really anybody about her healthcare options for her end-of-life healthcare planning. Um, But nobody was really willing to listen. Um, The doctors thought it was morose. Her husband didn't want to hear anything about it. Um, And sadly, this is when most people first start this conversation, which to me and my team was was really baffling, right? Because research shows that uh, engaging in conversations about healthcare and that type of healthcare, particularly early on, um, reduces family stress and actually improves outcomes uh, and increases the length and the quality of our patients' lives. Um, But unfortunately, we don't talk to our patients early. We spent six months in all of these clinical sites and we found that uh, a grand total of zero physicians or nurse practitioners or any sort of provider brought it up. Um, but when you're treating an elderly patient, you know, the eventuality of passing away is really the elephant in the room. Um, and it's just something that is very awkward for a lot of physicians to engage in. Uh, and so as a result, um, the patient's only real recourse is to uh, basically figure it out on their own and usually on their own dime. Um, and we just thought this was a travesty, quite, quite frankly, um, particularly because uh, direct-to-consumer solutions in traditional ways of planning for your future health care, like estate planning attorneys, are really only available to affluent populations. And 
the vast majority of people on Medicare are at or below the poverty line. And so they don't have that. And as a result, the only sort of recourse they have is to just talk to their family. Um, but without any clinical guidance, those conversations are not as fruitful. And without documentation in place, uh, those choices are often not chronicled or followed. And so patients get the delivery of care that doesn't actually align with their interests or goals or, or needs or desires, um, which is of course devastating to families, but also uh, extremely expensive for health systems that spend over $100 billion every year delivering care people don't even want. Interesting. Now, when Texas Medical Center brought you in and you got to really kind of look at all these different issues, right? And when you settled in on this one, what, what was their thought process? Like, how were they supportive to you and your team and taking the next step from there? Yeah. Um, so the Texas Medical Center uh, brought people from the clinical side in to solve a clinical problem. A lot of the solutions that are in place talk about, you know, document sharing and, you know, let's get someone to sign this um, and then we'll put it in our records. But they realized that um, to really solve this issue, you had to bring in somebody who is familiar with the culture of physicians, right? Physicians are not um, likely to dig through an electronic medical record when somebody lands in the emergency room. They're likely to turn to the next of kin, right? And the next of kin, if that's the first time they're seeing a document, they're not, they're not obliged to follow it. They can just ignore it entirely. Um, and so they were facing this, this problem. And so what they, uh, these hospitals and health systems did for us is they, they provided us funding to explore the problem adequately without the pressure of building a solution immediately. So we had six months of dedicated customer discovery before we could ever write a line of code. We had the opportunity to have hundreds of end of life conversations with patients and physicians before we even incorporated. Um, we were able to uh, test our MVP in a variety of clinical sites across Houston at different uh, stages of, of severity in terms of you know, primary care versus geriatrics versus ER and trauma and all sorts of things. So this, is, this was already top of mind for a lot of health systems, partially because of this massive transition to value-based care that we're seeing. Um, but this really became uh, one of their top priorities when the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden they had no time or capability to have these conversations with their patients and also found themselves seeing a shortage of uh, equipment like ventilators. And all of a sudden, all of these physicians were forced to make decisions about who got a ventilator and who didn't and thought, man, wouldn't it have been nice if we had just asked them first. So you, you basically were able to, now correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you started, you were able to what, incorporate in, you were working on this before December, 2019, but is that when you actually like incorporated the business um, formally? So we started working on this in August of 2019. And like I said, we had this six month sandbox to really figure out truly what is going on. Like what's wrong with the problem? Why are existing solutions not working? Why are, why are things not being adopted? Um, we went full-time into our solution in January and incorporated in March, 
effectively right before the announcement of the pandemic. I think we filed our incorporation paperwork two weeks before lockdown in Texas. Um, and from there, that point on, it just really skyrocketed, right? Because our solution is a low labor digital solution uh, to facilitate uh, healthcare planning, advanced healthcare planning for seniors. It is built with seniors in mind specifically, which are of course the most at-risk population in this year pandemic. Um, and it allows physicians to uh, engage in this conversation without the training that a palliative care physician might need or have, for example. What's, what's your ideal, I guess, customer that you like to go to uh, at this stage of the game? So we like, we're very passionate about providing care and access to healthcare planning to everyone, right? Um, the, the fact of the matter is that when, um, when people are responsible for the care that they deliver, uh, financially responsible for the care that they deliver, they are more aligned and more likely to actually push solutions that, um, that allow physicians to deliver care that matters to patients. So for example, when you have discussions about uh, healthcare options or end-of-life healthcare planning with most seniors, depending on age group and their value sets, most of them will prefer comfort care. You know, 80% of patients prefer to die at home, but because of this miscommunication, 60% will die in a healthcare facility. And I've seen it myself. It's, it's terrible when you see a 94-year-old lady that you spoke to last week that just wants to be home alone with her family and her cats have her chest ripped open in a, in a hospital in front of her grand, grandkids, right? It's very traumatic. Um, and so for that reason, our best customer or our best um, approach is uh, health systems that are financially responsible for the care they provide. So any risk-bearing system. We, that said, we do um, work with primary care physicians as well and um, fee-for-service clinics, because this is a reimbursable conversation and a reimbursable event that is usually just a little bit too awkward or too much of a lift uh, for physicians to engage in to drop that code. Um, but by going through the majority of the conversation ourselves and handling all the documentation, we make it a little easier, which also benefits us, right? Because the earlier it's introduced, the better it is for the patient. Makes sense. Interesting. Okay. So what are some of the things that you're most looking forward to as, you know, we're already a couple months into 2021 now, right? After a crazy 2020, uh, what are some of the things you're looking forward to, I guess, in regards to the business? Um, in regards to the business, we uh, have a number of, you know, pilot sites where we're able to work with partners that really align with our mission and are pushing for innovation. One thing that I will um, attribute to the pandemic, actually two things I will attribute to the pandemic is that um, there is an, a new appetite for innovation because uh, on, the, on the stress of a pandemic, a lot of systems have uh, broken or um, we've realized that they were broken from the beginning, right? 
And so there's this hunger for improving things and this window of opportunity of, in some, some sense, post-traumatic growth where we can switch things up and implement some solutions that, that actually work. Um, and the second thing I will uh, attribute to the pandemic is that it's really changed the narrative about end-of-life healthcare and healthcare planning overall. So it is really shown a light on the issues that patients face and the issues that physicians face and the financial consequences of not providing this to all of our patients, right? And so it is, it's my hope that we can use this cultural shift to ideally, you know, in 10, 15 years, make this a commonplace conversation. This is not a problem that I, um, I want to be solving, uh, for lack of a better phrase, right? I, I don't want that for myself or for my family or for any of the patients we work with. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, ideally, we build something that I can use with my own grandma, honestly. I like that. Well, uh, as we discussed a little before the, the podcast started too, like this is really your uh, and, and in your company's intro podcast, right? The goal is to have you and, and maybe other members of your team on again and on the show and, and be able to do some different segments where we kind of go into, you know, we did a broad overview of the company and your background today, but talk about some more issues. So I look forward to that. And I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. It means a lot. Thanks so much, Jared. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey everyone, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, BlockHealth. BlockHealth is building the ecosystem of services and solutions to power the future of healthcare. Through their platform, healthcare professionals and organizations can enter, upload, and share core credentialing documents and information. Professionals and organizations then have the opportunity to use that information to order multiple services and solutions like credentialing, state license registration, certifications, payer enrollment, renewals, and more. On average, the BlockHealth platform saves users 40 to 60% on credentialing and licensing related costs. Organizations can use BlockHealth as an extension of their team or as their whole licensing and credentialing team. Today, BlockHealth works with some of the top healthcare organizations. To learn more about BlockHealth, please visit www.blockhealth.com. That's B-L-O-C-H-E-A-L-T-H.com and follow them on their social channels at BlockHealth. Thanks for listening. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.